Hello, world. Welcome to the Speed Strength Show. I'm Braden. I'm Tommy. I guess that makes me Zach. What's happening, boys? <laughs> Is that your opening line? Are you going to say your thing? No, it's not my opening line. Oh, <laughs> you got to share your opening line. Boys, to stand to wipe or to sit to wipe? Who stands? <laughs> Yes, that was the first <laughs> thing I thought. Really? That usually splits a crowd, man. Really? <laughs> Does it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What crowds are you in? <laughs> I don't even know if I want to know. Up north. Really? Oh, that, that checks out. Well, I started as a stander and was converted to a sitter. You started as a stander like when you were four? When you're no, no. It's to, like university. <laughs> what do you mean you started as a stander? I was a stander. If you, the stats literally are like 54% stand, or no, 54% sit. take stats on like this? 46. Oh, for sure. Man, you did so much more research before this than we ever do. Of course, I got notes on it. <laughs> I so can't keep it together right now. No, we're sitters, man. Oh, sitters. Is ludicrous. <laughs> well, I feel left like uh, the odd man out here. <laughs> you said you've been converted. It's true. It makes more sense. Now, once you once you sit, you'll, you'll never stand again. <laughs> That's but why I was you, like, "Why is this guy even asking this question? Like, it's not even a question." It is. Ask more people. You, you'll see it splits a crowd generally. A little bit more on the sit side, but there's some standers out there. <laughs> I mean, like I have stood before, but it's definitely not as nice. Interesting. Well, what scenario did you have to stand? Well, sometimes like a, a public toilet. You don't want it, you don't want to sit at all. No, no. Just sometimes. <laughs> he just hovers. So you say you're just hovering. <laughs> <laughs> no, sometimes, uh, sometimes you do your business, and and you know maybe you've had some nachos with jalapenos the night before. Maybe things aren't feeling too clean, uh, raw perhaps, you know, and it's a little painful. So you don't get you don't get the job completely done, and maybe you got to come back at a later date and and finish her up, you know. And in that it's situation, almost like a, it's a double take. It's a double take, exactly. Yeah. So you've left the bathroom and then realized that it's not fully cleaned up and you come back. Well, yeah, maybe it's not like, not that it's not clean, but like. It's just not right. It's just not right, exactly. And, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you need to wipe, but you don't need to drop another load, you know. So not for sure. You don't got to sit all the way down. It's like courtesy wipe. Maybe you're, you're at somebody else's house. And, well, there you go. Like I said, I still can't even believe this is a question because I feel like there's, there's a way to do it. And there's a way to not do it. Well, so that's just not true. why is there even a debate Think around that? A, because if I was if I was a stander, that means my pops was a stander. That means his pops was a stander, right? That could that's passed on generation to generation. Well, now that you've been converted, is your kid going to be a stander or a sitter? Sitter, of course. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you got to optimize. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, so this is the part that confuses me: is that if there's a way to do something. And it's clearly the better way to do it. Why is there even still consideration for the old way? Well, because you never, you never knew the new way. I didn't know the new way to university. And it took a while. It felt, felt weird. It felt weird. And then you get used to it. Your body wants to stand. I was standing and then sitting back down. It's like <laughs> Just a an absolute confusion. But it makes more sense. You can do it one-handed. Like I have my phone in my one hand. Standing's a two-hand job. Yeah, that's fair. You got to put stuff down. That's fair. Uh, Tom, I think you're just confused because we normally agree on, on these things 100%. So having a little bit of controversy is foreign. Yeah, you know? like I said, I'm also, well, first of all, it took me about a minute and a half to get my composure after, like I was think, crying at one point. Like, I'm, like, st I'm still wiping some of the tears out of my eyes. Like I was just <laughs> evolution, was Evolutionarily. Evolutionarily. You wouldn't be like in your own room doing your business, right? You'd be out in the open with other guys. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think standing would be the power move. Alpha probably stands. That's probably why my, like it's passed down in the Martian on generation. It was the alpha move. Alpha stands above all while he wipes. It, <laughs> is, this, is this a historical thing that you've learned about in your studies? As you were talking about the, the interesting history of osteopath and chiropractic medicine and is this something that has that has come up 
Like, is that where you got the idea? Because you're talking now about the history. Read, read a history book. Read a history book, Tom. <laughs> I do like just history. him to tell you. You always got to come back to history. There you That's go. what your knowledge is, man. I am interested to hear the, I don't know if it's a story, but if you've got converted, I want to know how that happened. Who, who saw you standing in university and told you a better way? <laughs> well, it was kind of the other way around. I saw someone sitting. I'm like, what? because <laughs> to me it didn't make sense like you like your hands in in the bowl almost it's like whoa like i hope you're washing after of course you are but then went around the room and most guys were were, were uh were sitters so i had to sit and <laughs> got me. i can't keep it together oh that's good man that's oh. good stuff but it'd be it'd be interesting to see like 50 years from now like that that population of alphas is slowly going to go down. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it's sitting. You have people be sitting t- to piss in like you, they won't even be uh, standing pissers anymore. World's changing, man. <laughs> easier to sit. I got it. It is. It is easier to sit. I don't know. I think urinals will still be a thing. I think maybe I, I wouldn't be surprised if women's washroom got like the equivalent of a urinal. No, I think that would already had have happened. Hmm. Have you? <laughs> I could see the cell phone changing things though. <laughs> I've seen the people are so glued to their phones. Work. Yeah, that I could see, mm-hmm. like sitting. Yeah, yeah, just becoming the universal thing because nobody wants to leave their phone for a couple of seconds to go to the bathroom. They want to find a way to remain on their phone as they go to the bathroom. Have you seen the, the study they've done on kids? Uh, I forget if it was under 15 or 13. They're starting to develop uh, a horn on the back of their head. That's not true. Yes, it is. <laughs> no, it's fucking not true. <laughs> yeah, from being, from, so, so Wolf's Law, right? Bone um, uh, changes shape on force lines, lines of force. So on their phones, on their computers, whatever, most of the time of the day, it pulls on the, uh, the musculature and ligaments on the back of the head. And slowly pulling a horn out of the back of their head. Might be true, might not be true. I don't know. I got heard that somewhere. <laughs> okay. Unreliable. It definitely though. depends on the source. I guess I could see it. I could I could see that being a thing. We're Just definitely going around a 13-year-old and feel the back of their head. Well, now I gotta feel mine and like what does mine feel like? You know? Yeah, have I developed? I don't think I've had a phone long Pretty enough flat, to develop I guess. one of those. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm good. Mm-hmm. Now I'm worried about yeah. that. You got me thinking. Worried about, about getting a horn? Yeah, I think I'm good though. But you gotta no. throw the phone away, Tom. Yeah, I gotta get you rid of it. You don't want to be you don't yeah. want to be the 60-year-old with no horn in, in a world of horns, though, at the same time. Yeah, that's true. Just yeah. follow the pack, right? Fit right in with everyone. Yeah, exactly. Just like a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> All the sitters. Yep. All right. Oh, well, smooth transition here. Uh, <laughs> I think I finally have my composure back, right? but definitely, well, that's good. definitely pumped to have Zach back again. For yeah, thanks uh, for having me on, guys. Yeah, and I mean, last one was going to be movement. It was in a way, uh, but a little bit more movement and mobility today. I think is the is the plan. Beautiful. Yeah, a little more movement. How do we apply it? How does mm. it relate to recovery? Right, because that's kind of your jam. You're the recovery guy. That's your that's your title. That's all I, that's what I'm going to call you. And a lot French, of the, the French sniper is gone, huh? It's just the recovery guy now. I guess on air you're the recovery guy. Feels like a demotion. <laughs> that's not um, the intention. But yeah, a lot of the concepts we're going to talk about are influenced by the uh, the fluid movement pump that we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. Um, so if people haven't, then they should go check that out first. I think anyway, at least the, the first bit to get the basics of it mm. and, and then come back over here. Um, yeah. So did you want to, I, I think Tommy had, had a lot more questions than I did to, to kick this off. Did you want to mm-hmm. get it rolling, Tom? I wouldn't say it's a lot of questions, but I have a few, like I'm definitely curious to 
to hear about this idea of like fluid movement is such a, as you talked about last time, like it's, it's the life giver in the sense that we use fluid to deliver nutrients everywhere in our body. And we use fluid to remove the waste products and the garbage out of our body. So anything we can do to promote fluid movement within our body is a positive thing. Correct. Would you say, would you agree with that, Zach? Oh, 100%. And so one of the things I'm thinking about is on days that either Braden or myself or anyone else who's working with athletes and clients, what are we prescribing to them on days that we consider quote unquote recovery days? And are the methods we're using actually maybe moving fluid around the body the way that we need to, to actually promote uh, recovery to the, the best of our ability based on some of the things you touched on uh, last time. So one mm. of the big questions I had for you is, do you think there's a specific type of movement that is best for promoting the muscle pump activity and getting fluid moving around is running better than biking or rowing or walking, or maybe there's an, I don't know, like an elliptical or whatever else is out there. Is there a certain type of movement you think that is maybe at the top of the pyramid in terms of making fluid move the best in the body? Mm. Um, so again, I always come back to like the most simple answer for these types of questions. And like, you could argue like all oh, more muscle groups, you're going to get like a larger muscle groups, more muscle groups, you're going to get more of a pump. Um, but I see it more as not like there's a, a fancy exercise. It's the consistency of exercise. And it's also a great opportunity to build on skills of the athlete, of the person. Um, like a lot of the people I worked with always have some sort of skill, like, oh, I want to be able to do a chin up or like do 10 chin ups or something like that. And it's like, okay, well, this is a great opportunity. Uh, I, uh, every hour on the hour, you're going to go to your chin up bar. You're going to do one chin up or something like that. Or, or um, handstands, another big one. We're going to start, you know, every hour on the hour or depending how busy the person is every whatever, two hours. Like it's more on the consistency of the pump uh, than like I have this fancy exercise. You just got to do it once a day. Then you can lay down the rest of the day. Like it's not, it's not going to be like that. It's just a great opportunity to build on skills for that person and whatever their goals are. Right. Cause you, you mentioned last time how like the body's a vacuum essentially. So hmm. if you're moving fluid in one area, then you're pulling from another area. So I guess that means like whatever the exercise is, doesn't matter too much. Cause hmm. it's still going to get things moving. Hmm. And um, like, there's other factors like it'll just increase the heart rate, which will then also help uh, um, move fluid around. Mm. But like if you're going to get someone to just do a bicep curl with one arm, like that's not going to be as effective as like a whole body squat or something like that, or like a more whole body movement where you just get, you're getting more pumps involved, more uh, musculature involved. Mm. Mm -hmm. So would it be safe to say that a whole body movement would be more effective than a smaller movement, but whether you pick from a whole body movement, whether you're squatting, biking, jogging, mm. elliptical, whatever, rowing, then it doesn't really matter if you're using a large compound movement. Mm -hmm. That's safe to say. And then maybe you pick, maybe based on the soreness or the level of fatigue, like if you want more blood flow to the arms, mm -hmm. and maybe you pick something like rowing compared to cycling or vice yeah, exactly. versa. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, um, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to... Uh, like, cause you, if you're talking about the consistency of the pump, do you think mm. then that like uh, maybe a 45 minute mobility routine would be like for this purpose anyway, there's other mm -hmm. factors involved, I'm sure would be like more or less effective than doing like one squat every hour, essentially. Like you're, you're getting up and you're doing one squat every hour, or you do all of your movement at one time, like that 45 minute mobility routine. I would argue that splitting that up throughout the day, especially on recovery days, you're utilizing that pump a little bit more and you're also just getting the person up, right? Rather than getting up for the 45 minutes and doing the stretch uh, routine or whatever, you're getting the person up for five, 10 minutes every hour. And at least then they're not getting stagnant in their position. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those like immobilities that we can see is just from individuals staying too long in positions throughout the day, whatever, because of work or school or, anything like that. So I would argue for the latter in that, like, if you have an hour to give, let's split this up into 
six sets or six uh, 10 minute intervals or something like that, where we'll, we'll uh, tackle mobility that way. Well, and that's a great point from a, a programming standpoint. Cause I, I do think a lot of practitioners, like you said, would like, as Braden suggested, here's a 45 minute recovery, mobility, whatever you want to call it uh, day or program or thing to do. Mm-hmm. But you've mentioned that breaking it up into smaller chunks might be the more effective way to do so. Like that's a great suggestion or alternative for anyone out there working with clients or athletes or anyone to maybe give that a try mm-hmm. instead and see if you notice a difference. Well, would you think about doing the same thing with your, like your actual workouts? Like you couldn't, I wouldn't say like, if you've got like a, like if you're planning a six by one on squats and a six by one on bench to, like every hour do like work mm. up to one a maximal set, of one, set. <laughs> one one set of one for each like i don't think that makes sense but well, i mean that already exists that's the bulgarian method yeah where well, they had like a hundred training sessions hour. in a day <laughs> but they were also juiced to the gills and that's why yeah. it worked like nobody talks about that everyone's like oh here's the bulgarian method it's so great and it's like yeah but they were juiced to the gills so they could do this if any average person tried it they would probably die yeah yeah don't don't try the Bulgarian method on a whim, but I, I, what I mean is like, would you, do you think it makes sense to, um, if someone has the means or the time, like, especially now when a lot of people are trying to get home gyms and stuff, um, do you think it would make sense to split your workout into like three or four chunks or something like that and do them throughout the day? I think it'll depend on what the client or athlete or person, uh, wants out of their adaptation. So like to split up a strength or a speed training session into, you know, 10 minute sections throughout the day. I don't think you're just going to, you're not going to get the same um, volume and load. I guess like arguably you're getting the same load, but you're not fatiguing the the musculature in the same way or the nervous system in the same way that you would, if you're doing it all in that one hour. Yeah. But the output some, probably isn't going to be there. And even like, like you'll have to rewarm back up and cool back down. Like there's like, there might be a risk of injury there. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you could have an argument too for, for the other side of that. And that, how, how do we get better at, like, I had a client who's like, I just want to be able to, with the guys, just be able to jump into a spike ball game or a baseball game without having to warm up really. It's like, well, how do we practice that? Mm-hmm. Well, we split your workup up. I, we, we, we keep it as safe as possible, but then we, we get you into exercises without having that crazy warm up, so that we build that um, ability to just like turn sympathetic, blood vessels open up and blood gets the tissues quicker. Um, yeah, but, and then again, like if the person's goal, just going back to the first point is more weight loss, it might make more sense to get them up more so during the day than just that one hour. Cause again, there's 24 hours in a day. Um, and I always seem to that if I get somebody up five times and like, let's say you only have to do five minutes, once they get up and they start moving, they feel great. And I'll end up doing a couple extra minutes. So you, you get a little bit more out of them, out of the output as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it depends on the. Depends on the goals of the person. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I guess it would just be, if anything, motivation to be moving more often during the day. Cause I think a lot of people will like, they'll do their work in the morning and then sit all day doing schoolwork or sit all mm-hmm. day in the office or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, or sit all day and then do the work later. And, um, and I think like getting people to get up and moving and walk around and whatever is sometimes not, such an easy task as it, as it seems it would be in, in my own experience too. And uh, like anecdotally with my clients and even some research I've seen, like people will say, I don't, I don't have the time to get up every hour and spend five minutes, but you see an increase in product productivity in those other 55 minutes. When you, you get up, you move around, you almost like unfocus and refocus back on the, back on the task. So when you're sitting down for you know six hours, staring at the same screen or whatever, you can really get lost in that. And then time goes by and you, you're not really that productive. I mean, you can argue how many people at work get up every hour and go outside for a smoke break. It's not yeah. time to go outside for a smoke break. So, you know, <laughs> just quit smoking and then do five minutes of exercise instead. Mm. Like, yeah, I could see that working really well, especially for lower intensity things mm-hmm. where you may not need to like have as strenuous a warm up. Like you could reasonably do five, 15 or 20 minute bouts in a day rather than mm-hmm. an hour and a half workout. Mm-hmm. Cause you could cut down on the warm up and mm-hmm. 
Like you said, yeah. yeah, depending on the skill or depending on the goal that, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting method to use. And especially now where people are probably a little bit more stagnant with what they're doing in the day because they're stuck at home or things like that. You lose the moving around from like walking from A to B and here to there and doing things like that. Most people are probably just sitting at home mm-hmm. doing nothing and they probably have the opportunity to, to do something like that. So mm-hmm. And again, it doesn't have to be crazy complex. Um, just walking around, like w- the act of walking, you're using almost every muscle in the body. And reflexively, there's so many things going on um, that even that you're going to see great benefit. And I always find too, is make sure you have an, an intent. Like don't just tell the person, hey, I want you to get up and do five squats because I want you to move more. Like have some sort of like, hey, we want to develop this skill or hey, uh, this is going to help your daily um, caloric into our uh, output or whatever, like have some sort of intent. And then they're more motivated to get up, whatever that every hour, every other hour, mm-hmm. what have you. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, it's important to, for people to, I guess, know why, know why they're doing stuff, but even like know why it's important, I guess, mm-hmm. but even more so than just like, it'll help you recover a little bit better. Having um, a multi-dimensional purpose is, is nice for sure. Um, George St. Pierre's trainer talks about this and it's a great way to develop skills. So if he uses the example of someone can do 10 chin-ups and you want them to be able to do more chin-ups um, and then you do 10 chin-ups in one day, they're so sore. They probably can't do chin-ups the next day. And then you'll get chin-ups the day after. But if we do one chin-up every hour for two days, you'll be able to do a lot more volume than you would be able to, if you just kept it in that hour. So it's an opportunity to spread that volume out. If that's the goal too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Pavel. Pavel, Pavel yeah, yeah. grease yeah. the groove right there. Like that's 100% that to a T. Because if you want to get better to movement, do it more often. Mm-hmm. How do we do it more often? Breaking into smaller chunks. Mm-hmm. And I'll pers- I've played around with some of Pavel's stuff. It definitely works. You get, oh, yeah. you get a lot better at whatever it is that you're trying to improve on. At least I've found. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that applies to pretty much everything. Even just finding a way to make it easier to get more work done or more feasible to get more work done. Um, I have a friend who's, I've mentioned him before, uh, an ultra marathon guy and his like philosophy with training is, um, just make it easy enough that I can do like a lot and a lot more. So like he, he always talks about all like 90% of the running he does is at a pace where he can have a conversation, Like he's not pushing it. And then one day a week or one day, every two weeks, he'll, he'll push the pace and develop that skill. But, Mm -hmm. uh, for recovery and everything like that, it's important that he's not subjecting himself to that like high intensity, high impact all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's a great point too. You have to be careful because again, we're utilizing this as a recovery tool. We don't want to be utilizing this as a, uh, a more of a stimulus. Um, like you're just getting the person to do chin-ups all day and, and then they're just crushed all day, every day. Mm-hmm. You want to be careful and make sure you know the baseline of the person or the athlete and work off of that. Mm-hmm. That was actually one of the things I wanted to ask you, Zach, was around the intensity of, of some of the movements or some of the things, right? Like if we look at something like walking, running, cycling, rowing, you might be able to use heart rate or something like that. Yeah. Is there a bit of an ideal window to be in? Because obviously if we have greater level of intensity, the heart beats faster and then we mm-hmm. move fluid more through the body, right? We talk like the volume of fluid that's moving through the body is greater. But then, like you mentioned, we don't want to go too far over the edge where now it becomes like a training stimulus and we're losing mm-hmm. the, the ability for recovery to actually happen because we're stressing the system too much. Is there like an ideal window? Maybe you can provide an example if it's like heart rates when you're walking or cycling or it, how do maybe you prescribe this stuff to people you work with? terms of the intensity. Yeah. And it's, a, is it, it's going to be a person dependent a little bit. Cause you know, some people can hire, handle higher intensities than others, but the, what you just said there, um, or uh, what Braden said is the ability to still have a conversation. Like our, our, we don't want to get to the point again, where we're high intensity and it's more of a training stimulus and the person's breathing hard. They can't even have a conversation and it doesn't like, it can be like, uh, I always use the gauge, like kind of like a six or a seven out of 10. Um, but it doesn't have to be that high. Like it, you don't want to intimidate the person again, and then they're not going to do the exercise. It can just be a, a, a walk at like two out of 10. Like it's more of a spectrum than a, than an ideal zone. Um, 
and, and, and that's how I put it. And it's tough to quantify. Not a lot of people have heart rate monitors or that I work with at least. Um, in a, I was just worrying because so many people now with like Fitbits and smartwatches, it is yeah. something that's a little bit more, pr- mm-hmm. probably the most feasible or accessible tool mm-hmm. compared to some other stuff. That's why I was, I was just using it as an example for that. Mm-hmm. So I try and keep them in their, what would be like the fat burning zone, which is like six out of 10, seven out of 10. Cause it's again, a great opportunity to, to burn some fat, which is a lot of the clients that I, I was seeing in the general population. That's the goal. That's everybody's goal. Burn fat, put on muscle. How do we, how do we do this? Um, so yeah, I hope that answers the question, but it's yeah. not like an absolute number. I like the, I like the conversation rule for sure. Cause I think everyone can kind of understand how that fits to them versus a six or a seven out of 10 is so subjective. Um, and so like person dependent where like in the powerlifting world, six or seven out of 10 is a, a very legitimate training stimulus. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a lot of work gets done in that area, you know? So if you're like that, if, if you're having a rest day at six out of 10, like that's, that's pretty tough. Yeah. You know? They actually use that. Uh, I, I blew my mind in the army. So when they're going for runs and you know, like they're like, I don't know, but I've been told like everybody repeats back and forth. It's so that the leader can gauge like uh, the conversation, like how well uh, all the people can talk. And once one person starts to like not be able to participate in the, the chant, then he slows the pack down or he'll speed the pack up. Like that, that that's where that comes from, which blew my mind. That's really cool. That's yeah. really interesting. I had hmm. no idea. I like the idea of the talking thing though. Like that's because mm. like both of you mentioned, it's someone with no prior fitness experience. Someone could have never worked out a day in their life. And it's like, Hey, get on this bike and I'm going to talk to you the whole time. Mm-hmm. And you need to be able to keep a conversation with me. And if you can't, then we're doing too much. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's a really, really easy thing to, to understand. And the mm-hmm. army thing is fascinating. where did you hear that? A friend told me. So it huh. might not be real, but that, it made complete sense to me when he told me. Um, um, but yeah, but, identify the weak link. Yeah, and Who's then the worst in the platoon? Down. Who's the one person in the platoon you don't want to go into battle with? <laughs> can't talk at all. Get that person, get rid of them. Mm. Um, but it's not to say that you couldn't use this tactic as like uh, an exercise stimulus. It's like, listen, you don't have time to get into the gym for an hour. We're going to do minimum effective dose. We're going to do five minutes, high intensity every two hours or something like that. If they have a bike or or whatever at work, it's just tough. Like you don't want to get super sweaty or whatever at work um, that you, you could use it either way. But from a recovery perspective, it's five minutes of just like light squats. Maybe you're walking around. So even to, to the point, like you're not going to get to the point where you, you can't have a conversation or you even feel like, like your heart rate's increasing a lot, depending on the person that might be a person um, whose baseline's that low or whatever, but then you just work around that and with the person. Mm-hmm. I really like the idea that we were talking about earlier about um, training yourself to not need a warm up or or yeah. a, a less uh, time consuming warm up, you know, or even just like just getting better at warming up. So that mm-hmm. maybe you're just do, doing the same amount of stuff, but you do it faster or whatever. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm curious to to see how you think about warm up as well. So when you think of the type of pe- person who can just like get up and go like who do you think of right away children children right and tommy children and tommy tommy is a child um and the difference there there is a tissue difference but the the biggest difference is blood flow to the tissue they just have so much more blood flow getting to their tissue um so so when they want to get up and go there they can get up and go and blood just starts shooting to the musculature super quickly um and if we think back to the conversation we had what controls blood flow is that autonomic nervous system. So how, how well can we uh, make that system efficient? Like what, why does a kid can just get up and go and they change their moods? It's like, they're not stressed. They don't have a care in the world. Right. So like my perspective on this would be again, training towards it. Like you need some uh, practice in being able to just get up and go or whatever from a small standpoint and work your way up. But even just from a stress perspective, like how well are you balancing that sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system so that you can get in and out um, and breaths and another, another great uh, tool to get into those states as well. I used to, instead of doing like a movement warm up, I would do like a Wim Hof or fire breath or hyperventilation type warm up, and two, three minutes in, I'm in a complete sweat and then I'm ready to go. So it depends how you look at how you want your warm up to be. Like if you want potentiation and like there's things, fixes that you're trying to utilize or whatever, or if it's just like, 
I got half hour for a workout. I'm only going to spend, you know, two, three minutes warming up. What's the best way to do that? And messing around with those, those kind of tactics. Yeah. That's really interesting. Hmm. That's the, I mean, using just like a breathing warm up, I think is fascinating. Hmm. Um, but also, yeah, like, I guess that makes a lot of sense if adults are stressed all the time because we have bills to pay and things of that nature, hmm. then is the, it's the sympathetic is the, is the fight or flight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that just like basally on a higher level so that it's, it's harder to come in and out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Super cool. cool. Yeah. It's an interesting idea on like, as we're talking like about recovery, like on a day that like doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. to, to me, there's at least from, you know, like Zach, if you think back to when we trained at Waterloo in mm-hmm. the off season, we had big lifts on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, mm-hmm. right? Those were days that when Braden and I programmed that stuff, we felt like th- those were really important things. And that was going to give the athletes the stimulus they needed to adapt and get better. What we did on Tuesday, Thursday, or possibly Saturday with the athletes doing things on their own time, it was sort of like this, just the idea of moving around, getting some blood flow, and kind of recovering. I do like the idea of this like shortened warm up. Like we don't need to have, if we're not going to, you know, trap our deadlift 400 pounds, for example, we don't necessarily need to have a really, I don't want to say really thorough warm up Cause then it sounds mm-hmm. like we're kind of half assing it on these other days, but mm-hmm. like you said, finding the minimum effective, like, Hey, maybe doing some breathing stuff and mobilizing a few chronically tight, structures in the body for five minutes is all you need to then prepare yourself. Like you said, to walk around or ride a mm-hmm. bike at conversation pace or something like that. Like I really like the idea of maximizing the time on these recovery or off days mm-hmm. to make it more feasible for people to do. And, and even those high intensity days, um, like that's one, maybe if with an athlete, one and a half hours of exercise, what do you do in the other, you know, 22 and a half hours? Uh, we want to make sure we're still moving and keeping those pumps going. But the athlete side of it, I remember, you know, having an hour and a half workout, having an hour and a half shoot, and then two hour practice. It's like, you almost got to work from the other end. It's like, okay, how do, how do we uh, decrease stimulus? How do we get you in a more restful state? So we're sleeping better and sleeping way longer than the, you know, the average person. It's like, you got to play around with, uh, I think the one podcast um, you said, Tommy, the one guy looks at the recovery first and then, uh, programs based off of yeah programs kind of around yeah. the recovery yeah, yeah. tools and that i they think have. that's super important like assessment is everything assessment is everything and then you know treatment or uh prescription is relatively easy based off of the the thorough assessment that's a great point mm-hmm. i mean yeah it's definitely always important you always want to be trying to be more efficient with with the time that you're that you're using you know and, and we talk about um like if you're programming something you always want to have a reason for it and like an intention with it and i mean you could have like everything in your program be really important and it's an hour and a half long workout but could you get the same thing out of an hour or the same thing out of 45 minutes mm-hmm. and if you can then it's it's worth the effort to at least try you know um for that purpose of just i mean especially i think a lot of um people that we've worked with are university ish level athletes you know mm-hmm. like students they don't don't have a lot of time and i mean especially basketball players volleyball players and and people that haven't really been in the gym before don't necessarily want to dedicate all that time to it either mm-hmm. and if they're an engineer engineers oh. are on a different <laughs> school schedule than like as soon as you've worked in the varsity setting with an engineer that just gives you a whole new appreciation for time management and mm-hmm. like how busy people can get mm-hmm. Um, I did, uh, want to ask you too, that Tommy, Tommy brought it up that maybe you do like a, the breathing thing and, and a couple mobilization things. What do you think about, um, like mobilizing like joints or different structures or whatever, um, mm. what goes into your thought process? There? Um, so it's a tougher question than, uh, can be led to believe there's like, so what I ask first is, is there even an immobility issue? Sometimes um, a muscle's lost leverage 
So let's say like with that pulley system we were talking about, if one side's short and one side's long, sometimes the side, the side of strain is usually the side you feel sensation, not always, but sometimes. So, it, and then we start to stretch that long side. It's like, okay, well, number one, let's figure out to see if there's even an immobility issue. And then number two, um, how does that play into the compensation, the total compensation pattern? Um, but that might be something you refer out to a practitioner who's going to be able to, to assess that in a, with a better eye than you um, or than me, and then be able to give us a better idea of what's going on. And then the layers of tissue. So it can get super, so there's different, not really layers. It's more a change in density because they're so uh, closely related, but there's different layers that uh, react differently to different mechanical stimuli. So you have like a fascial layer that reacts to more what we call heat and creep or like stretch, for example, then you're going to be able to break hydrogen bonds. And then that tissue come, becomes less viscous and more, more fluid and you get more movement. And then we have the neuromuscular layer that's going to react more to reflexive pathways. So like things like PNF stretching can be super helpful for that. Um, just changing the sensory information to impact the motor. And then we have the deep layer, which is more of a articular positional change um, where you'll have to work through motions uh, more dynamically to be able to, um, change the sensory in the articular layer. Um, so that all being said, it's like, how do I, like with all that information, how is this useful to me? Cause I, like, I don't know how to assess each layer, like get kind of get lost there. And again, that's going to be a conversation with the practitioner. And then I always just come back to my favorite mobility exercise. And again, there's thousands of schools of thought on different types, um, is co uh, corrective articular rotations, or even just taking the joints through the ranges of motion. Because if I take my wrist, for example, and I flex extend, and then I, you know, deviate both sides, I have rotation, then I go to the elbow, elbow flexes and extends, supination, uh, pronation, I can kind of isolate joints and take them through a relative stretch, right, dynamically. I'm taking them through a relative reflexive um, pathway because, again, I'm flexing one side or, or um, contracting one side, relaxing the other side, going through the motions. And then I'm moving the tissue uh, at that deeper level. Um, so that's what I do myself. And then for my, my clients, uh, we go through, uh, corrective articular rotations when they're on their own and I feel safer with them. Like, it's very tough to put your joint in a position where it's going to injure itself just actively. It's very, very tough. It's easier to do, uh, passively than it is actively because they'll, they'll, they'll have protective mechanisms for that. Um, the only thing you have to be worried, uh, a little bit worried about is that when you're doing something to yourself, uh, like let's say stretching, for example, if you or Tommy were to stretch my hamstring. I would be able to feel that quicker than if I were to stretch it myself because we have mechanical stimuli coming from the hands as well as the mechanical stimuli or the relative pain stimuli coming from the, the hamstring. Um, yeah. I hope that I mean, makes that, sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think doing it that way makes it easier to program and, and stuff, give to, give to athletes or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, like one of some of the stuff I was thinking about before hopping on here was like, what's, what's the reasoning behind different, uh, like modalities, I guess, like people love to foam roll, people love to stretch, people love to do mm -hmm. dynamic stretching and, and all these different things and stuff. But I guess as you're describing it, it like each of those things is going to affect a different layer a little bit more mm -hmm. specifically, like the PNF stretching will go after the neuromuscular layer. Mm -hmm. rolling and stretching will go after a little bit more of the fascia stuff and and then mm -hmm. yeah different movements will go after the the articular layer which mm -hmm. i mean it's interesting but i guess it, it's really hard to figure out which layer you exactly and that's why i take on. taking the more general and safer approach um and then leaving the assessment up like if you're a practitioner or whatever and, and you know what you're doing or like you've been in the game a long time and you can differentiate then for sure like tackle that problem um, cause again, it's all assessment like that, like a, a PNF stretch or like a, a, a myofascial release, um, is relatively easy when, when, when you've assessed the problem and, and you know what's going on. Um, yeah. So just a, more, more of a general approach for me until I, I, I have deciphered what, what I think the problem is. And it, it sounds like it's not a bad thing if you do, like you said, a little bit of foam rolling, if you do a little bit of joint articulation stuff, then at the very least you've, you've done a little bit to address mm -hmm. each of those layers, right. Or each of those components of mobility. Yeah. And at the very least you're, you're getting the segments of the body or the tissues or structures or whatever to move around. And we know one of the most important things about mobility is to 
actually keep moving. Yeah. Right. If you keep doing stuff on a daily basis, you keep moving. It's tough to lose mobility when you're using it all the time. So like movement is movement, right. At the end of the day. Um, The one thing you have to be careful about is like we talked about a compensation pattern. It's like, why is that being held there? If I take that out, if I mobilize something that was holding something else up um, like what's that going to do to my compensation pattern? And there is a level of just like overtraining, over treatment, like over mobilization, because now you've changed where your uh, cerebellum and your central nervous system, cerebellum is just like a part of your brain, where, where, you, where it thinks you are in space. And it's got to recalibrate um, and reset its top-down um, tone to try and rebalance. Because again, we're just trying to keep those eyes level, trying to keep those eyes level. If you make a lot of changes, you, could be, you can get sick. <laughs> you can feel sick. Because it, it's all connected with that uh, vestibular system and that posture and balance top down. I mean, it's no different than any other adaptation, right? Mm. If you've ever worked with a kid who's going through a growth spurt, all of a sudden the kid could squat. Now they're seven inches taller. They can't squat. They have to relearn how to squat because their segments are different lengths or someone who comes back way stronger, way more powerful, produces mm. force differently. And then it changes how they strike a volleyball or you know, run or anything like that. So it makes sense that the mobility stuff does the same thing. You've created some sort of a change and now the person has to readapt a skill or a movement or something they're doing to that. In this case, we'll call it a new ability. Mm-hmm. They have new mobility. They have new range, something they didn't have before. And I don't mean to say that to scare people away from doing mobility, no, but just ha- have a rationale, like have some intent. Uh, don't just go all willy nilly. And, you know, roll out your whole body, like with deep tissue and all this stuff, because that can have a, um, a different effect than what, what you could expect. Um, one of the things over the years that I've kind of, well, actually pretty recently, I, I've had like my, my hip, specifically my hip and my ankle have been tight for a long time. I think we talked to this a little bit um, last time, but the, it's, it feels a lot of the time pretty easy to get things moving, but yeah. it's harder to keep them moving Mm -hmm. you know like it's you can warm up or i feel like i can warm up enough to get things moving and squat okay and then the next time i have to squat i got to do all the same stuff or even more you know to to get that mobility back again Mm -hmm. and like it it feels sometimes like the warm-up just gets longer and longer and longer Mm -hmm. you know yeah it can be tough because it's like if something keeps coming back are you at the problem or are you, are you at a symptom of the problem or does it keep coming back because of something you're doing in your daily life? Um, but you don't want to be in the situation where you're, like you said, you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it comes back, doing it comes back, doing it comes back. Um, you, you want to be able to do it without that coming back at some, at some point. And you might have to go see somebody um, who's going to be able to assess and figure out what that, the, the true causes of the mm-hmm. mobility coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people get, get stuck like foam rolling. I think, um, a lot of people go, I mean, not to shit on any practitioners, but I think a lot of people go to see a practitioner and they're like, Oh, this is tight. You should foam roll it. They mm-hmm. foam roll it. feels good. And then, so they keep foam rolling it and then the foam rolling stops working. And then that issue keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. I know I've been there, mm-hmm. but yeah, I guess that's just, you're not, you're not working on the, on the actual problem at that point. Mm-hmm. It, maybe you were but maybe well. yeah it's just something you're doing daily that's making it come back um and yeah no like nothing against different practitioners they have different approaches and how they think about mobility and that am i going to tackle it from the motor side where if there's an immobility i'm going to tackle it from trying to uh, increase stability on the side that's long or am i going to try and change the sensory of the side that's short so that it balances out that that pulley um and then the whole idea behind assessing, like the body's a dynamic unit of function. Like if you have an immobility at the ankle, it doesn't mean it's an ankle issue. It could be, you know, um, compensating for the knee, for the hip, for the other hip, for the other knee, for the other ankle, for uh, top down, like how things are getting stacked on top of it. There's so many different, different possible ways. Um, like any, any single compensation you can rationalize could be, could be there. And the only way to figure it out is, is to look at the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is crazy when you see like how things connect like that. My my Cairo told me about 
some research that he read recently that ankle mobility is correlated very highly with uh, quad activation and uh, like rectus abdominis activation, hmm. which I thought was pretty pretty interesting. So hmm. yeah, if you don't if you don't got your ankles working, then there's a couple other areas to look. I would just be careful talking in certainties. It's like, Oh, this look here, like this look here. What I've found is that like, until you, it's almost like a book, the body's like a book until you've read the entire thing. You have no idea what's going on. You can't just read the cover, right? You can't just read a page here, a page here, or the climax of the story or whatever. You have to read the whole book because it's never the same. Never. It's always like, I didn't even think that was possible. Like it's the opposite of what I thought was possible because it's just compensated the other way. That's a great like, analogy. Oh, Oh, it's like, you have to, you have to read the whole book. I'm sorry. You can't, you can't just read a couple pages. There's no shortcuts. No, no I, shortcuts. that's a great analogy. I really mm-hmm. like that idea of reading, reading the whole book. Mm-hmm. There was one last thing I wanted to ask you. Um, yes, and it deals with like isometric contractions. Mm-hmm. So obviously if we have movement where the muscles contracting, relaxing, contracting, relaxing, we know that contributes to the pump and it helps move mm-hmm. blood flow. If we have an isometric contraction where the muscle is active and then holding, it can restrict and close up vessels and areas where mm-hmm. fluid is potentially moving. And so one of the things I wanted to ask you about was how, or the last thing was how isometric contractions or holding positions potentially influence the muscle flow, either positively, negatively, maybe it doesn't just because I think isometric stuff is so common mm-hmm. on lower intensity or recovery days. I love using that type of stuff on off days, right? You look at like McGill's big three, their mm-hmm. isometric actions, holding a plank, uh, a lot of the stability work we do, whether it's a carry, uh, things like that. There's a lot of action in the body where the muscle is active and holding a position. D- does that influence anything? Is it something mm-hmm. to take into consideration? Should we be using more or less isometric actions on days where we want to promote recovery? So super cool question. Um, so an isometric, there's no real such thing as a true isometric contraction. It's like all- even just static posture. Like if you, uh, we were talking about like the center of pressure, center of gravity, there's going to be relative movement. It'd be like almost impossible. And even just how the muscle contracts and stays contracted, um, even isometrically for long periods of time, there's going to be different motor units coming on and off or, or whatever, and different like twitches and different fibers are activated, not active. So there is going to still be a level of pulsation so that blood can come in and out. And there's no, there's no, no um, absolute occlusion uh, because tissue death, like I think it's like most tissues is within eight minutes of uh, no oxygen, um, the, the tissue will die. So there is going to be a level of pump action there, but you are right in that there is a relative more occlusion with an isometric uh, contraction than there is with a moving contraction because you're creating that tension um, and you're not allowing for expansion and compression. So f- fluid's going to slow down a little bit more there. And because you have cellular metabolism going on, like you're still working the muscle, there's going to be influence of fluid to come in and uh, uh, blood pressure will go up because of that, because of that, uh, non-change in shape. Um, yeah, if that makes sense, but, but there will be compensations for it. Like it's through the central nervous system and that sympathetic nervous system, there'll be vasodilation to a bigger degree. So that fluid can still make its way in and out. Um, but isometric training, uh, um, contraction training is very interesting in that it almost creates a state where it feels like it's working harder than it is because of this hypoxic state and there's like those blood flow restriction i was gonna like ask that's, about that. yeah the that's like a new training. thing mm-hmm. yeah that kind of utilizes the same mechanism um i actually got some because uh, uh, a lot of people were asking me about them i wanted to try them out but it's the same idea you're you're, you're creating an environment where the tissue um can't get it's like a, a hypoxic state and there's going to be uh compensation um through the blood vessels to dilate and then also through like neural hormonal and mechanical uh, changes that can influence. Like that's the whole blood flow restriction is that you don't have to work out as hard. We're going to restrict the blood flow so that your body thinks it's working harder than it is. um, So that you increase the hormonal response and uh, neural changes and stuff. So then as a recovery tool, do you think that's like a positive thing or, cause I could see people talk about using like 
varying tempos or varying amounts of like your base of support and stuff like that. So you don't mm-hmm. need as much load to get a training response. So then therefore it's less taxing because you're not using as much load. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you're also inherently making, and especially in this situation, you're making it like equally or more metabolically demanding. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I would come back to what that person's baseline is. Cause most people like an isometric contraction is like the strongest contraction an individual can do so like if a person can't really do a squat or can't really do a lunge uh and you set them up in an isometric position and you hold that position that's going to be stronger and safer for them um but from a recovery perspective in terms of just talking about the pump mechanism the isometric contraction is not going to create that as much of a pump uh just mechanically as the um in my opinion as the concentric eccentric movement but at the same time that isometric contraction is going to change the stimulus of the hormonal response, um, the blood flow response in, in terms of dilation. Uh, so I, I personally don't know for sure what, which would be better, but that'd be interesting to study. So it would maybe come back to the intensity. Like yeah. you said, if someone wasn't strong enough to do a squat and then mm-hmm. you have them hold the squat, that's going to be a very challenging demand on that individual, mm-hmm. right? Versus someone who could do a plank for three minutes and then you hold them in a plank for 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. So maybe it comes back to the intensity then. And regardless, there's going to be fluid change. Yeah. Like you're creating all that pressure, that pressure is going to get relieved and then there's going to be uh, fluid getting sucked in behind it and fluid getting pushed out in front of it. Um, but like to say exactly is one better than the other. I can't say for sure, but either or it's like either or. Um, no, but at least globally then, mm-hmm. like if you think about how much fluid you're removing on a recovery day, globally, mm-hmm. you're still getting fluid around as a result of that, maybe in that isolated 15 seconds, you're holding something there's, there's less blood flow, but like mm-hmm. you said, it, the contraction is going to release, you're going to have a change. So at the end of the day, you still muscles were active. The pump was moving. Like mm-hmm. I said, I was just curious because personally I use a lot of isometric stuff mm-hmm. on off days. So I wasn't sure if it, if it's something to consider that, maybe I should break them up into smaller isometric chunks or something like that, just to help promote the blood flow a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if there were any potential downsides I wasn't thinking about or wasn't aware of that you would have come across. Cause you, you dive into this a lot deeper than, mm-hmm. than yeah, I do. Yeah. And I think you'd get less so. muscle damage too doing those isometrics. Cause most muscle damage comes from the eccentric uh, contraction. Um, so yeah, that, that would be another avenue you could, you could rationalize. And that's the thing too, is like, you can rationalize so many different things, so many different ways, as long as you're comfortable with your rationalization and, and until someone comes with a better rationalization and it works. And as long as you have one, it was a potential hole. I thought of as a result mm-hmm. of our last conversation, well, it's a great question was, I was thinking about all, like you mentioned, it's less metabolically demanding. It's, you know, it promotes tendon health, a lot of things like this. And I'm going, mm-hmm. okay, isometrics are really good. And then it was a potential hole that I thought about when you talked about things last week. So that's mm-hmm. why I was curious to ask you about it, but that's a great, a great answer. And I will continue to use my isometrics on yeah, offense right, and just maybe play around with it a little bit, but yeah. I do also think that there's merit on off days doing things like an isometric or whatever, just because it's different mm-hmm. um, and, and making the body move in a different way. And especially like, how often do we actually do isometric contractions throughout, you know, like in, in training you do it, like your core stuff is probably going to be isometric. Um, If you program a specific tempo, like a a long pause squat or something like that, then that's some variant of an isometric. But other than that, I don't think there's very much. And then through the day, like you're, you're either relaxed or you're moving, you know, so you're not doing isometric stuff really ever. Mm. So like if you talk about like use it or lose it kind of thing, like mm-hmm. I don't, uh, I, I, I personally, and I think recovery days, it works really well um, to fit that stuff in. Like when I program deloads for my clients, like that's when they do like all kinds of different stuff. Like that's when they're doing all their carries when they're doing like, um, yeah, just a lot of movements that they don't normally get the chance to do in mm-hmm. training because it's, I mean, it's health related, but it's overall a lower priority, you know? I'm just glad I don't have to upend my recovery days because Zach's <laughs> wisdom has told me I don't need to do that. So I was worried about having to completely shake up some things, but. And what, like the last thing for this whole fluid pump 
uh, fascial muscular food pump is that it brings more efficacy into the things we're already doing. Like it's a, it's a great conversation to have in that it builds more importance around mobility and movement and stability. And like, it's an easier conversation um, for someone who, who maybe doesn't have a, uh, like a fitness goal or a, like a mechanical goal. And like, I want to jump higher. I want to do this. It's like, there's health, uh, just general health benefits to having more mobility and uh, stability and moving more throughout the day beyond just being able to, to increase that ability. It's like moving fluid around, you're moving health around. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. That's mm. a great point for sure. Cause I think it's, it's hard if people think about being fit and active and, and for just for the purpose of health, I think a lot of times they think they need to go for a run or they need to go to the gym or whatever. And they need to do things that are hard to do. Mm. But if all it, if all it takes to live a healthier life is to get up and do a squat every hour, like that's not, that's not such a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it, a good caper, Zach. Mm-hmm. It adds to the proof and it adds to the, uh, the efficacy of it, mm-hmm. what we're already doing. Right. Adds to the conversation. Um, there was one more thing that I wanted to ask uh, about cool downs, just your opinion on cool downs. And like, I mean, I've heard, I haven't looked a lot at a lot of the research, but I've heard that it's, like a lot of people say it's important. A lot of people say it doesn't matter at all. Mm. My, my opinion on cool down is you come back to that same question. How does the body self heal and self regulate? How does the body um, um, recover and heal? And again, it's through the, these mechanisms that we we talked about. It's through sleep. It's through uh, um, movement. It's through stress management, which is where I, I put my most importance on in like the actual 10 minutes after a, a workout I'm not stretching. I'm not moving more. I'm laying down. I'm breathing. I'm bringing myself uh, back into that parasympathetic uh, sympathetic state so the body can do what it does, right? If I finish my workout, I hop in the car, I'm driving, I'm eating, I'm doing all this stuff, and I don't take that second to just like bring myself down, I'm going to be stuck in that sympathetic state even longer. Um, and then again, yeah, with all the other recovery pillars, but I always come back to um, decreasing that stress because I worked out, it's very stressful. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I mean, I've never honestly never thought about using it that way um and a lot of times i feel like i have this kind of post-workout fog sort of mm-hmm. thing where you just feel just taxed and like tired and you can't really focus and you don't really know what's going on mm-hmm. I, I wonder if that would have like a big impact on that so like just for a practical tip if you guys want to try it out or, or for your clients i i do four eight breathing so in for four seconds out for eight seconds until i feel comfortable enough to do a box breath where I can do four in, four hold, four out, four hold. And then once I, I can do that comfortably without like feeling like I need to, to gas a breath out, I, I feel like I'm in a, enough parasympathetic state where I can, because you don't want to be sitting there for a half hour trying to calm down or whatever. Um, just but that's like a practical jittery. measurement. Yeah. That I'll use if you guys want to try that out. And do you think it makes sense to, to just be like lying down or sitting down to do that or like walking around is fine or? Whatever is most comfortable. Yeah. I've done all three, like sit down. Sometimes like I can't really cross my legs very well. So it gets uncomfortable or laying down. Sometimes your heart's just beating too fast and you want to wait a little bit uh, for it to relax before you lay down. Um, so yeah, walking. It can be fun so, to play around with. Yeah. yeah. I'll definitely try that. It's a good takeaway. Mm-hmm. It's also a little bit fun to play around with your, your music selection for recovery or not purposes. Mm-hmm. Zach, did you have anything different or is it still? Um, so <laughs> I'll actually, uh, I have Apple music. So I'll just like, and I have Alexa. I don't know if you, do you know who Alexa is? Like the, uh, the Google, or not Google, yeah. what is it, Amazon? So I'll just be like, Alexa, play some meditation music. Um, not while I'm working out, but uh, in between sets, like where, where I kind of said um, that I like to ch- try and intentfully relax or after that workout for that five, 10 minutes. And she always has something nice for me. Some nice common music, um, but I can't say I, I don't know the names. Like sometimes it's just like tree and I guess not tree noises, but like birds chirping and stuff. So this yeah, guy's been sure. bumping a lot of DJ Lex in his house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's solid. I, I like that. I like that idea. What about you, Tom? Uh, I was going back in the, the history books. I was listening to a lot of Dio this week. Zach, you probably listen to Dio classic rock i'm really bad with names i'd have to hear the song i bet i know the words he was the he was the lead for uh sing me a little bit sing me a little bit um and then he 
filled in for Ozzy when Ozzy left Black Sabbath. And then he did his own uh, thing. He, you've probably heard Holy Diver before by Dio. That sounds uh, familiar. Holy Alexa, Diver, play it now. <laughs> you've been down too long in the midnight sea. She's actually playing music in the background. Alexa, off. Sorry. That's, That's all good. good. She listens good. too well. She listens too well, that one. But yeah, Dio, like awesome, like old school rock, borderline metal when he got going. But yeah, Dio, I, I love this stuff by Dio. Mostly the stuff with Rainbow and his own stuff. I haven't really listened to a lot of the stuff when he was in... Uh, when he was in Sabbath, but the stuff with Rainbow is good. Have you heard of Deep Purple? Mm. Yep. Zach, old school rock and roll guy, and he's never heard of Deep Purple. Smoke. Oh, on the probably water. heard the music. I don't know the names very well. Yeah, Smoke on the Water. Oh, okay, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. That's the, that's the only one I know. Okay, that's the only one. <laughs> but yeah, the Great lead too. guitarist uh, from that band and Dio were in Rainbow together, so like a lot of really good tunes. Some of Dio's stuff that he did in the '80s is just unreal. So if you like your old school rock and roll, that's a little bit heavier. You can go, yeah, check, you can go check out some Dio. So I was influenced when you were talking last week about the rock and roll. I was like, oh, yeah. I can go listen to some Dio. So, so yeah. Braden, where were you at this week? K-pop. Uh, no, sea shanties. <laughs> sea shanties. I mentioned sea it. Shanties. Yeah, it's going to be out of order for the audience. But I did mention it on the one that we recorded most recently, which is Weightlifting 3, uh, which is our first episode is going to be out before that um or after that sorry anyway uh yeah so i was listening to a lot of uh it's a uh, like sea shanties are all old songs like they were written forever ago and so many people have have made the same version but i was listening to a lot of the um the longest johns is the band uh it's just these four guys from bristol in the uk that they just sing um, but their most recent album, they got a lot more instruments on it. And I really, really liked it. That, that album was called, uh, cures what ails you. Um, yeah, really, really solid. Really just love the vibe of a, of a sea shanty. And some of them are pretty like, like dark and ominous and like remembering like a pretty tragic event. Um, and then some of them are just ridiculous and silly. And, uh, yeah, so that was, that was really good. And then I, I, said that i would remember the group that i that i like the old um it's an irish group called uh, the high kings and they do a lot of irish folk songs that are really solid and some of them are sea shanties um but yeah i really like their versions of of stuff too so is that like a, a quartet like just four guys what is yeah. that called four guys just singing there's no instruments uh their their first two albums were mostly acapella Acapella, that's what the word I was looking for. Yeah, where like there's there's one guy who he he's the main in most of the songs, and then you've got um, like a couple guys that sing higher, and then you got the bass. But uh, you don't get to hear the bass alone too often, but that's nice. Wicked. So, yeah. Yeah. Highly. This guy's so influenced by the TikTok crazes. I don't have that's TikTok. His, though. That's his whole life, you know. Like. <laughs> Sea shanties blow up on TikTok, and then all of a sudden, Brain's <laughs> like, "Yeah, I'm on board. Let's go." You see him doing like the dance moves in the yeah, exactly. The <laughs> I can see it. Really? Yeah, yeah. that doesn't sound like me. Uh, I've seen him dance. He's got moves. Yeah, we, we have that's, seen that. That's when I've had a couple couple of beverages in. Me. Oh yeah, the pink and shorts. The salmon shorts. Pop, yeah, watch the out. salmon shorts. Watch out, baby. <laughs> Brain's about to tear up the dance floor. Let's go. Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, Zach, thanks for coming out for a couple of great episodes. It was a lot of fun to have you out. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This was a blast. Mm-hmm. And then uh, looking forward to your podcast coming out soon, too. So that'll be exciting. Yeah, thanks, so. man. Super excited about that, too. Do you Hopefully guys have an in the near future? Uh, like a date? A name, sorry. Oh, a name. Yeah, so we called it uh, the Why It Depends podcast. Oh, nice. Hmm. It, depends. it depends. Great for yeah, but you can't just say it depends. You got to talk about why it depends. That's a that's an empty answer. Nailed Very it. Cool. Very cool. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. No date though. But no date. We'll hopefully, to... hopefully in the next couple, uh, like end of February. Hopefully, nice. we'll yeah. share it with people I'll for sure it. on the show yeah. account. We'll we'll let people know that you're bringing some good stuff into the into the game. So yeah. much appreciated, guys. Maybe we'll have to have you back to to launch that yourself. 
but we'll see. So, but yeah, thank you. This was, this was great. Very informative. And I, I mean, we definitely want to have you back at some point to talk about something smart. <laughs> Google this stuff first and see, <laughs> check the resources. He's just talking nonsense. No, I really appreciate this. It was a lot of fun guys. Um, super jazzed up every single time I get to come on here and talk to you guys. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if anyone wants to reach out to us, then speed strength performance, speed strength show for the show and, and Braden Southern for me and adaptive underscore athletics for, for Zachary. Correct. Thank you. Yes, sir. Right on. Then, uh, anybody else got anything? No. Thanks for coming along world. That was the speed strength show. We will see you next week. Peace.